Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Hello. Hello. <laughs> that was very robust. I know it was. All right, so today we are talking about when work is not supportive. Rude. I know. Did you ever work for a company that didn't support you? I learned pretty early on not to do that. <laughs> That's not true. We talk about it later. About Okay, so, so the only time I've ever worked for a company that didn't support me, it's because of a change in management. I'm not going to out this. I'm not going to out this business, but well, no, you can keep it simple. They 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 changed management. I loved them. They were very supportive. Love them. Like they, you know, I love them a lot. And then and then they changed management, and they were no longer supportive. So I left. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's 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 a tale. So as, yes, that's a tale as old as time, Sarah. Right. Yeah. Like new management. Changing of the guard. Yeah. I was actually talking to somebody the other day. They were talking about how their company has a new president and how he's basically going around screwing up everything that works. And I said, well, that's what they do. They come in and they got to pee on every tree. Yeah. Right. They got to put their stamp on it. They got to put their stamp on it and say, look, I'm the new guy and I'm going to do all this stuff new and it's going to be my mark on society. And it's like, instead of just keeping what works and revising what doesn't, they got to go around and change it. So tale is all the time when management changes and it's yeah. no longer good, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I've, I've worked for so many companies. I mean, when you say didn't support you, I mean, it's just like that's such a loaded question, right? Yeah. There's I mean, so many companies. Support, I mean, it could look like you're, within your job, they don't support you or within your like personal life, they don't support you because I mean, that's it could be. Yeah. They could be like, I, I you know, super supportive within you getting your job done but not care anything about your personal life. But, I mean, yeah. And there's yeah. A, it means so many different things to different people. So yeah. today we're going to actually talk to a doctor who has had breast cancer twice. She had a recurrence. So she's dealt with this twice. She asked for an accommodation after chemotherapy, and then she found herself at risk of losing her job, which I, you know, I, sadly, I'm not surprised by that. And at yeah. the same time, it's just like, oh, for God's yeah, sake. I mean, I a doctor of right. all professions, right. a doctor's dealing with this. Yeah. But I thought that was super interesting you know, yep. so we're going to talk about, you know, kind of what her work life was like before diagnosis. And then we're going to talk about how work responded during treatment. Yeah. And then finally, we're going to ask, you know, what happened after treatment that prompted her to ask for a reasonable accommodation and what her company's response was. All right. But before we do that, let's hear from our first sponsor. Hair loss is consistently ranked as one of the most feared side effects of chemotherapy treatment. The emotional impact chemo hair loss can have on patients has been well documented. Scalp cooling is a simple treatment that can prevent hair loss caused by certain chemotherapy drugs. The use of scalp cooling is proven to be effective in preventing chemotherapy-induced alopecia and can result in people retaining much of their hair. Paxman is the global leader in scalp cooling. Their cold cap is scientifically proven to reduce hair loss during chemotherapy. If you are facing cancer treatment and concerned about losing your hair, ask your provider about scalp cooling and visit our website at www.coldcap.com. All right, Kathleen, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you sharing your experience. 
Well, thank you for having me, Beth. Of course. Okay, so you're an ER doctor. Can you kind of explain what the environment's like in the emergency room? I can only imagine, you know, what that's like. I mean, our environment is always fast-paced, chaotic, you know, especially the last couple of years with COVID. You know, I mean, it's really kind of changed the pace of you know, of what we normally see in the winter. I mean, right now, I mean, the COVID spike is back. We're seeing so much flu right now. Everybody's sick. What are the hours like? I mean, how long, first of all, how long have you been an ER doctor? How long have you been? I've been an ER doctor, you know, including residency. I've been doing this for 20 years. I mean, it's always shift work. No, some of the, I've never worked in a place where it's 24 hours straight, but some of the smaller rural ERs will staff their emergency rooms with physicians for 24 hours straight. In the big city, they tend to range anywhere from eight to 12 hour shifts. You know, we have stagnant hours or not stagnant, but rotating hours would be a better description. The first shift starts at seven, the last AM, the last shift starts at 9 PM. And that's the overnight shift, 9 PM to 7 AM. Is it stressful? Do you find the work stressful? It is stressful. I mean, especially when you're the only doctor there. And sometimes if you have two or three critically sick patients, there is stress with that. Absolutely. Did did you do you feel like and it doesn't have to be now, but do you feel like when you first got in it, you kind of thrived on that kind of maybe not you didn't enjoy it, but like that pace, that environment of like something always new, something interesting that's going to challenge you or make you think would come in. Was that how it was like in the beginning? Absolutely. I mean, the standard joke is that all of us who do emergency medicine have a little bit of ADHD. You know, we (laughs) like unpredictability. We like not knowing what's going to come in the door. You know, we like the sick cases because they challenge us to be fast on our feet, you know, work to try to stabilize them, get them better. Yeah, I could see how that would be really rewarding and just interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I share that ADD diagnosis. It's like every day being different is like what I love. I mean, I love that. So I could totally see that. So so you've been doing this 20 plus years. So it's like, you know, you when you got your breast cancer diagnosis, you were working as an ER doctor, correct? Oh, yeah. So when were you first diagnosed? I was first diagnosed in January 2018. Okay. And they caught it pretty early, correct? Correct. That was a DCIS diagnosis. Okay. So it hadn't expanded beyond the duct. You could just have surgery. And theoretically, I mean, most of the time they say that's curative. That That's usually how they kind of present it, correct? Correct. Okay. So that you had that. You thought, okay, I'm going to leave this behind. Was your work supportive when you had to go through your surgery and, and kind of take care of all that? Work was actually very supportive. I was rather new at the hospital that I was at. They provided advanced sick leave. I could easily, because I did end up with a mastectomy with the DCIS diagnosis, they provided six, I can't remember if it was four or six weeks, but a paid sick leave, which, you know, is... Yeah, a lot of people would love to have that. So that's, you know, that's great for recovery. Absolutely. Okay, so you get that first diagnosis, you go back to work. Did you did you feel like kind of you were fine to go back and everything was good because they caught it early and you didn't, you know, didn't have any major complications? 
Absolutely. Obviously, the physical complications from healing. So when I went back to work initially, I was kind of eased back into it just because of the issues with shoulder pain, difficulties just moving that shoulder and arm. Sure. And then you and then you you had a recurrence, right? How did you find out that you had a recurrence? I did not feel the lump. It was in my mastectomy breast. Uh, It was caught on my yearly MRI. The thing that nobody ever told me till after the reoccurrence is that I was supposed to be doing breast exams on my mastectomy breast, which I... I didn't think that that was a thing. I did not... Oh, really? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, nobody... I mean, I guess... Nobody told me that. And my assumption as a doctor was when you have a mastectomy, all your breast tissue is taken out. Yeah. Yeah, What are you feeling for? Unless there was residual, you know, like if they didn't get good margins and you had no more. I mean, I wouldn't have thought there'd be anything to feel for. Well, what I learned from the surgeon is that they can't remove all the breast tissue. They leave a small percentage behind. Okay. All right. So you have your MRI. They tell you there's a lump. How did that feel hearing that news for a second time? absolutely devastated. I mean, Mm -hmm. absolutely devastated. You think you are done. Devastated because I didn't realize, because I thought mastectomy would be not like there was a possibility of reoccurrence two years later. Right, right. So, So when you recurred, did you have to do additional treatment? Yes. I mean... You'd already had the mastectomy. So were they recommending chemotherapy and then radiation? Yes. I mean, I had a lumpectomy on the mastectomy breast. The oncotype score was actually kind of, I'm going to say through the roof, but significantly elevated. I mean, I was in the mid forties and, you know, any that high gets chemo and gets radiation. Sure. So you go through that because I want to, I want to know how your, how your work responded when you came back and said, guess what guys, I had a recurrence and now I have to do treatment again. Was the response the same? Were they supportive? They actually were supportive. This was right before, you know, COVID. This was fall of 2020 before the COVID vaccine was even out there. You know, my boss arranged for me to work from home because we knew chemo was coming and he didn't want me in the ER getting Mm. COVID. So you went through everything at the height of the pandemic? Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here you are, you're an ER doctor in a very stressful environment. You get this recurrence. You're going to have to go through everything during the pandemic. Sounds like your boss was very anxious about you getting sick within the ER. So he's got you at home kind of working from the house until everything starts. You go through treatment, which, you know, many of us have chemotherapy, radiation. I want to talk a little bit about what recovery was like once you went through that process. But before we do that, you want to do Boobs in the News? Yeah, that's right. Boobs in the News is a fun segment where we read funny tweets by real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the News. Boobs in the News. Boobs in the News. Here it is. I want to know how you feel about this because I bet you have an opinion. Always. You you live with somebody that loves to change his facial hair. So this is why I want to... This is why I want to know about it. So this title says, Claim of a New World Record for Longest Beard Chain in Wyoming. Interesting. Can you see this picture of these guys? Oh, you know, it's actually not as long as I... Oh, but... They tied themselves together with their beards. (laughs) So they're all standing in a line, and they tied their beards together, and they're trying to win a world record. Oh, that kind of chain. Oh, okay. They've split their beard in half, and then they're like... 
they, they tie, they it, tie to it to the person next mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. So it says, this is Casper, Wyoming, which, first of all, I'm not hating on Wyoming, but if you've been to Wyoming, there's not a lot to do there. Oh, well. Especially okay. in Casper. So I'm not going to fault these guys right out of the gate they because gotta they got to find entertainment go. any right. way they can. And if this is it, that's that's my stance. Good on them. It says, facial hair enthusiasts claim to have set a new world record for longest beard chain during an event in Wyoming. This is from the Casper Star Tribune reporting. Participants gathered at Gaslight Social, a bar in Casper, where they stood side by side and clipped their beards together to create a hairy chain that was measured at 150 feet long. That's more than double the Guinness World Record of 62 feet 6 inches set in Germany in what year, Sarah? Do you want to guess? Oh, gosh. I don't know. 85. Nope. It was more recent than that. 2007. Oh, okay. All right. So to participate, people needed to sport a beard at least 8 inches long participation requirements yeah oh yeah no this was like prerequisites mm -hmm. so my question is would eric do this because every time i see him his facial hair is different uh he's never done a beard he's a mustache he's a mustache guy yeah i don't think i've ever seen him with a beard no he can't because he can't put it he like he can only do a mustache with the fire department because he can't put his oh his mouth his his respirator on yeah mm -hmm. over it yeah so that's what keeps him from doing it yeah oh i bet but but when I feel like at one point, maybe it was during first maternity leave, he was he grew out his beard as long as long as he could. But I mean, it was like he's so fair. I can only see like I, I would think he'd like grow one of those like no, blonde he's, no, beards. he's got no, he's got he's, some hair. Yeah, it's, it's dark. I mean, it's the same color as the mustache, which is brown. OK. Yeah. All right. There you go. There's your yeah. boobs. Yeah. Silly people. <laughs> bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. All right. So we're back. You go through chemotherapy, you go through radiation. How how much time? Usually it takes like what, eight months? Like For close chemo? close to a year. I mean, depends, I guess, on how many rounds you need. Yeah. So how many rounds of chemotherapy did you end up doing? I ended up doing four four rounds of chemotherapy because there is no standard of care for what should be done on a reoccurrence on a mastectomy breast, which oh, is interesting. I had chemo from November through February because of insurance. Radiation didn't start until March and was basically through March. I was off through chemo. I went back to work because I, in all honesty, nobody ever suggested taking further time off during radiation, which I barely made it through work. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we had a very wonderful night doc who once, you know, nine o'clock, turned around because I could have fallen asleep, honestly, at the desk by 8 p.m. He's like, just go home. I've got it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you were you were kind of <laughs> feeling a little and drowsy then, by 8 p.m. and you had a doctor that was advocating for you by saying, hey, I got this hour. Go home. And this was at the end of radiation. Mm-hmm. This, this was during all of radiation. Because oh, you, went, you went through chemo. You were off for chemo. You came back for radiation because that's what I did. I went, I went back to work for radiation. I did it because, you know, everybody makes radiation seem like not a big deal. And, you know, and at least for me, radiation, I had the fatigue was incredible. I mean, I felt nobody feels great during chemo, but I felt like radiation had more lasting effects than what chemo. Yeah, we have. It's interesting. We do have women that feel like radiation is worse for the fatigue than chemo. So it's always fascinating Mm -hmm. to me when people have different experiences. 
when did you start noticing cognitive issues or when did you start struggling? You know, we talk about chemo brain a lot and, and we kind of make light of it like chemo brain. And really, I've kind of come to this conclusion that it's it's kind of brain damage. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't like saying like, hey, you might suffer some brain damage from putting these chemicals in your body. Do you feel that way? I mean, it's cognitive decline from treatment and they call it chemo brain. But I mean, it's 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 a significant quality of life issue for a lot of us. I totally agree with you on that. First off, if you can't stay awake, I mean, it was struggle to, you know, really function during radiation. No, nobody's doing well when you're not getting good sleep, too. Mm-hmm. Can we tell you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you tell you that? I mean, everybody knows the importance of good quality sleep. And when, when you're in treatment, it's a different kind of sleep, too. It's not good quality sleep. I lost my ability to sleep during chemo. I mean, it was awful. I only slept thanks to uh, prescription sleeping medicine. So how long after, okay, so you go through radiation, you're really struggling, but you're back in the saddle. You're trying to make it work. Mm -hmm. When did you realize like, I need some help? Like I need, I need, I need them to work with me a little bit about what my life looks like, because I feel like a lot of us, you know, you are forever changed after you go through treatment. You just are either emotionally or physically or both. When did it start dawning on you that you couldn't keep sustaining the pace you had been, you know, accustomed to or that you had done in the past? In all honesty, it was during radiation. I mean, Mm. just because the fatigue was so dramatic during radiation, I knew I could not go, you know, come back and do, you know, the shifts that lasted till midnight, the overnight shifts. Yeah, because you you got tasked with a lot of overnight work and that was kind of where the problem was, right? So when you got done with radiation, did the symptoms resolve to to a certain degree or did it continue to be that crushing fatigue? Because a lot of times it'll improve for people, not necessarily as good as before, but better. It was not the crushing fatigue, but the fatigue really hit in about like 7, 8 p.m. You Mm. know, the needing like to take a nap at, you know, to anywhere between 2 and 4 p.m. was not there. But my ability to function, and I'm not even going to call it late at night, in the early evening was the issue. Mm. Okay. So here you are in an industry where they have night shifts, right? Mm -hmm. They have day shifts, it sounds like. And you want... I mean, you were you felt equipped to do the day shift, but the evening presented a problem for you. And you said what you went to your boss and said, can I please not work past nine o'clock? Was that the ask? Yes. And how was that received? It was received well. I was told, sure, you know, whatever you need. I was put on, you know, shifts that ended at nine by nine p.m. Okay. So when did things change? This has been going a year and a half with these unofficial accommodations. I ended up working with an occupational therapist December last year with the brain rehabilitation who suggested going ahead and making formal accommodations because she said that the later it gets from finishing chemotherapy, it's harder to prove that the chemotherapy is what is affecting your brain. Which, you know, what I think is super interesting about that is that I felt like my chemo brain to some degree got worse the further away from treatment I was. Not not better. Mm -hmm. Like, I I think that's interesting. I, I think we didn't touch on this. Did you end up going on hormone therapy, too? I am on an aromatase inhibitor. Okay. Okay. Because that leads... I feel like that. that also, for me, that was... I mean, and it could have been like tit for tat. Who knows what it was actually came from. But like, I feel like 
it was the aromatase inhibitor that actually was Making causing a lot of yeah, like crabby, but also just like tired. Cloudy, I said cloudy, oh, oh. not crabby. Oh, I mean, I was crabby too, but <laughs> but I think it it just like I don't know. It had a it had an impact on my cognitive function, but also on my fatigue. So now, so here you are. You're you're more than a year out from your treatment. Are you still noticing with the accommodation? Are you still noticing even when you're not working that you still have this fatigue? Oh yeah, it's I, chronic. It's a chronic condition for you yeah. at this point. Yeah. I mean, if my kids would go to bed at 830, I would fall in bed right behind them. Okay. So you're a therapist. You worked with somebody on brain rehabilitation, which is a thing, people. So if you're dealing with cognitive decline or you're having some issues, there are therapists that will focus on helping you. And obviously with your work, you know, I could see, Kathleen, how you would really want to work with somebody to get you in the best shape you could get. And she's recommending, it's her professional, you know, recommendation that you get a formalized accommodation. And so <laughs> when you went to go formalize that request, that's kind of when everything went sideways. Everything went so oh, Initially, actually, I was well supported by my boss. Yeah, because there were fellow physicians who were complaining that I was getting preferential treatment and he really wanted to stop the complaints. So when I approached him about getting this officially formalized, he was like, that is a great idea that will get people off my back, you know, from Mm -hmm. complaining that you are getting preferential shifts. I want to know who these coworkers are as human beings who are mad because the chemo patient asked to not work past nine. I'm sorry. That's just... Yeah. Well, but you know what? This happened. I feel like I see this a lot in people is that the farther you get away from cancer, like they, they forget... They think you're fine. That, they forget that that happened and they think they're fine, especially somebody who hasn't been through it themselves. No, so. that's so true. Yeah. People think it's just a one and done and it's over. You're yeah. right. A hundred percent. Okay, so he goes down the line of trying to get you formalized accommodations. What happened? This has been a long, drawn-out process, first off, just to paint this picture. But, you know, the formal accommodations finally got in after people saying, like, they were lost in March. I got a letter in July from the hospital basically requesting what they call a fit-for-duty, stating that my inability to work nights was affecting the mission of the department and that, you know, the mission of the department couldn't be affected. Yeah. They're trying to say basically like you're trying to change the job. Yeah. So then what happened from that is because again, you know, I went through their, you know, their physical exam, which was nothing cognitive, you know, their fit for duty exam was all a physical exam. Which you're pretty in shape. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 You're a very fit person. I'm like, but how interesting that you're claiming, like you're saying, hey, I need some help, you know, with, yeah, with something from treatment cognitively. And they're like giving you a physical Physical. exam. I mean, isn't that just speak to the system? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, totally. They want to, you know, can you lift your left arm above your head? Yes. That's not. Yeah. (laughs) Great. I can lift 50 pounds. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what we're talking about here. I ended up filing an EEOC complaint, basically stating discrimination because chemo brain is covered under the American Disabilities Act. And if you are employed by a company, and I believe it's over 25 people need to be in the company to have enough people that they can follow ADA guidelines, they are supposed to reasonably give you your accommodation unless they say the accommodations you request are such a blow to 
whatever the job is, you know, that we can't function, we can't grant them. Right. And this is kind of where you're at in the process right now. Like it hasn't been resolved. You're kind of in no man's land waiting to see, are they going to do what they, you know, in my opinion, should do? Mm -hmm. Or are they going to force you out? Right. I mean, that's kind of what you're waiting with bated breath to see how how big of a hill are they, you know, what what are they going to do? It's actually slightly farther than that. You know, so at this EEOC meeting, the boss who was very supportive came out and said, oh, no, we can't grant those accommodations. So what I am in right now is the accommodations of what they call flask resort, which is 40 days to try to find me a new position hospital. That's how they force you out. That's what they do. They'll say, oh, well, we tried to find something that fits your skill set, but we couldn't find it. So unfortunately, you're now without a job. That's what they do. Oh, I either have to, if I wanted to stay employed where I am, I either have to withdraw my accommodations and go back to work, you know, these late shifts, which just I feel like I can't function as Or they are going to, quote unquote, medically retire, which is, in my opinion, you know, medically fire. Wow. I mean, that is like, okay, (laughs) that's dangerous for you. Yeah. But it's also dangerous for the patients that you take care of. Well, I mean, not in their view. Their view is they're getting rid of the problem instead of making an accommodation so she can provide adequate care. This seems so silly. I mean, it's the world. This is the world we live in. You perform or, you know, you're gone. And if anything, you know, outside of what we want isn't possible, then, you know, Uh. you're replaceable. I hate that you're going through this. Unfortunately, you know, you're not the first person nor the last. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now I can think of three other women that are basically being forced out of their job for asking for similar accommodations. And these are high power, just like you. You know, they're they're ballers, man. They've got these really long, illustrious careers where they have been running themselves into the ground for 20 plus years and doing everything they can, mm-hmm. you know, for the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And the minute that they said, I'm struggling. Yeah. The, the tide turned. Yeah. I hate that you're going through this. Unfortunately, it's it's not uncommon. And I appreciate you coming on because we really, in terms of quality of life, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are dealing with issues with their employer. And like Sarah said, I think you nailed it, Sarah. It's it's fine to a point for them, but they expect you to to rebound and then go back to your normal productivity. And if you cannot do that, yeah, it's a problem for them. Yeah, it makes it kind of makes the the support during treatment feel like a little bit of a farce. Like, oh, sure. Oh, I mean, yeah, how, like, do, how do you here feel? Here we were for you through treatment, but if it's a long term thing, I'm not here for you. Well, I mean, ask yeah. anybody that deals with a chronic illness how they feel. It's called, you know, like a lot of people will say it's an invisible disease. They they look at mm-hmm. me and think I look fine. Yeah. And therefore, you should be able to do this. Yeah. While secretly, they're suffering and really struggling. Right. And there's just not a lot of compassion when that's the case. So yeah. how are you feeling emotionally about the whole thing, Kathleen? I'm better now, you know, initially devastated because the reality factor is that I feel having gone through chemo, surgery, port placement, that I can relate to a lot of people with chronic illness a hundred percent better than the colleague who honestly hasn't gone through anything. Yeah, there's always that dichotomy when you're dealing with people who haven't endured any kind of medical trauma, they just don't have the understanding. No, but I've had wonderful conversations with patients. I had a follow-up MRI at the beginning of this month. And, you know, people were asking me, a patient once is asking me, well, you know, how are you doing? And I was said, hey, got this coming up. You you know, you're fine till you're not fine. And, Mm -hmm. you know, his wife was like, I'm going to come back in the ER and make sure that you are fine. And I Uh... was 
know, it's people like you who make my day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I am, I am very, very sorry that you have to deal with this before, before we kind of close out the episode though, let's, let's hear from our second sponsor. Innsbruck Resort is a proud sponsor of the Faith Through Fire Respite House and the Besties with Breasties podcast. We know you work hard, but at Innsbruck, we also know you want to disconnect from what's stressing you out and reconnect with the important things in your life. Innsbruck makes it easy by offering lakefront living and vacationing less than 45 minutes from St. Louis. Vacation homes, golf, swimming, nature trails, fun events, and more. Take a drive and discover Innsbruck. Visit Innsbruck dash resort.com all right we are back kathleen is there any anything I, I know i feel like kind of you are the you are you embody empowerment and asking for what you need within your work and, and kind of sticking to it and not you know and making sure that you stay safe just for yourself but also for your patients but is there anything that you want to leave our audience with from today yeah anybody else that's struggling with their employer or just anything that you've learned or that you you know yeah any final thoughts I I think my final thought would be it's scary to have to think of doing something else with your life, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, when you've been doing something for a long time, Mm -hmm. but don't be afraid to embrace change. There is a reason why things are going the way they are. And for me personally, it's wanting to spend quality time with my kids. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes hard to spend that quality time when you're working, you know, till nine or you've got the overnight shift and you come home, sleep for five hours. Is, you know, losing income is always scary, but you're never too old for, you know, finding something else. Yeah. And you're oh, never gonna, you're never going to regret spending more time with your kids. You yeah. you would however regret dealing with a company that would treat you so poorly at a very difficult time in your life. So yeah. I think especially after you've invested that many years. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah. We, you know, you know we're in your corner, Kathleen. We're rooting you on. We're going to obviously keep keep up with you about how this evolves, for but sure. thank you for sharing your story. We really appreciate you. I appreciate it. Thanks for talking with me, guys. All right. Yeah. Until, Until next, next time, guys. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Leave us a voicemail or share your own experience on bestieswithbreastiespodcast.com. And don't forget to leave a five-star review. This episode was hosted by Sarah Hall and Beth Wilmes. Audio and production edits by Innovative Frequencies. 